morning. Feels like forever since I've been up here. Uh, a few weeks ago, there was a uh, Cole was speaking. He was preaching, and he, he talked about bees being a, a keystone species. And it kind of made me go back in my memory to my experience with a group of bees. And so I just wanted to share that story. It was it was a while back. Uh, I was in my 20s. I was working on a pipeline. If you, I have a picture here, kind of, this kind of looks like you're in the middle of farmlands and you're putting in pipeline. And um, at some points, there's kind of water crossings or creeks, and you need to put in something like these bale, bales of hay that we have. It's kind of like that. You put some, a little silt fence up, you put some bales of hay in like that, and it guards any water from uh, any kind of oil, anything that might be off the construction site from going into the creeks. The thing is, once the pipeline's in, the next year they bring a cleanup crew in to clean it up. And so that's what I did. And it was, it was a sweet job. You're just in the middle of the country. You're just kind of undoing all the damage that had been done by the pipeline. And it, you feel kind of, you're in nature, you're connected. It's great. I actually had a, a, a great crew. There's these two older gentlemen. They were uh, probably in their 60s. They were Portuguese. And they liked to have vino in their coffee containers. And, uh, but the boss, like, they were really great. So knowledgeable, so hardworking. And I remember working with this one gentleman. It was kind of like a scene like this. And we're, we're pulling out the bales of hay to get rid of them. So he picks one up, and all you hear is like this thunderous, like, like it was so loud. And I, and I, my, I don't know what it was, something internal, instinctual, like, that's bad. And I, and I turn around, and I see this like black cloud kind of coming out, like some type of superhero uh, monster coming upon my friend. I'm like, oh, no. And, and we just go, run, and we turn around, and we just start running. And I look behind me, and I just see a swarm and you know what? The, the funny thing is, this, these were bumblebees. You know, the cute little bumblebees, and they're so nice. Did you know that bumblebees are the one type of bee that don't ever lose their stinger? So they can sting you multiple times. So we're just running, booting it, and I'm like kind of ahead of everyone. I'm looking back, and the, the poor gentleman. By the time we get for, uh, far enough away from the cloud of, of all the, the swarm of bees, we, we grab him. His back is just covered in bees. We're just knocking them off. We counted over 50 stings, like 50 bee stings in, in his back. And worst comes the worst. We're, we're, all we have is an ATV for like, there's a crew of like 10 of us. There's one ATV and it's out of gas. Thankfully, he wasn't allergic to bees. And eventually they came in and took him away. But I remember in the moment of hearing that buzzing sound, seeing these bees come up and seeing them come after us, just recognizing the tremendous power of what a swarm of bees is. It was this reckoning force. And what it was, was they were united in one purpose, which was to get us. And they're just coming. And you, and you, you think about this idea of, of hive animals. They have this thing that, that scientists like to call eusociability, which is like this idea of social uh, c- constructions for the good of each other. Bees and other insects, all together they think of the one. Some of them will even drop certain aspects of their, their life. Some of them don't, don't reproduce because that's what the queen does. They'll, all, they'll kind of specialize in jobs because they're thinking together as the whole. Some people call this a hive mind. What I want to think about is how this makes us think about the concept of church unity. If there is one thing the world needs, it's for the church to be united. 
It's a special thing on Jesus' heart. We've been kind of journeying with Jesus, and what we recognize as he's heading towards the cross, he knows he's going to hit the cross, he decides to pray for us, and one of the things he prays for his disciples is unity. John 17, 20. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave to me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Here's Jesus again praying. He, he's looking at his own death. He's gonna be walking towards this cross. He's prayed for eternal life for his followers. He's prayed over his apostles that they'll be sent out and give the good news. He's prayed that his followers will be sanctified by the truth. And now he's praying for unity. He's praying for a perfect unity in his church. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I don't know about you. It kind of gives me a little bit of goosebumps. Jesus prayed directly for me. Do you realize that Jesus prayed for you here? For all who will ever believe in the message that they give. Jesus, before the cross, had you in his heart. He prayed for you. And he prayed especially that you be united with the people sitting around you. For the fellow Christians across the street. For the churches in this neighborhood. For the church across this entire planet. Jesus is praying for them. He's praying that he longs for them to have this special thing called unity. And I pray that his prayer will be answered just a little bit in our hearts today. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. You are in me, Father, and I am in you. He's praying for this, this unity, but, but it's, a, it's a perfect unity, as he says later. That he wants this unity to be something that reflects his relationship with the Father. And he says this relationship is very in interesting, mutual indwelling. Jesus is in the Father. The Father is in Jesus. What would it look like for a church of believers in which we were all united in this way that Jesus was with the Father? This way in which what, what Jesus says is what the Father's saying. You look at Jesus, you see the face of the Father. Imagine if their closeness was the same thing that we experienced amongst one another. The perfect unity. However, the Father and the Son had this perfect unity. The twelve, not so much. I wonder about John as he's writing this, if he's thinking back to his own arrogance. 
when he and his brother James stood in front of the other 12 and asked Jesus, hey, can you make us left and right at your right hand and your left hand in the kingdom of heaven? Can we be like the top two? We know there's the 12, but we really think like we're the top two. And what happens when they kind of say this? Well, the entire group starts bickering, oh, fighting amongst themselves. Oh, I want to be the top one. I want to be this one. And this, this is the difficulty that Jesus knows is real. He's not praying this because he's like, oh, I'll throw a unity prayer on top of this. He's like, oh, Lord, these guys, they don't know how to get along. It's not just John and his brother James and the kind of confusion that they cause. There's this guy named Judas. Judas is definitely not united. He's on his way to betray even as he prays. And then there's Peter. The leader who has in his heart this fear that he maybe doesn't even realize is kind of blowing up his time. He's about to deny his Savior three times. These 12 aren't united. And so Jesus, he knows the danger at hand. He, he knows his people. And the biggest one is that when he is struck, the, 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 the sheep will scatter. And it, it hurts his heart. He's like, oh no, Lord, you need to hold them together. Father, please, I plead for them to be united. Of all things that he can pray about when he's facing this cross, and we know he'll pray to take the cup away, and there's all this stuff going, but in his heart, he's thinking about us. Please unite them, hold them together. What Jesus wanted most for us was to be united, to have this type of mindset that we're united in the spirit of God, just like, like the bees. And may they be in us so the world will believe you sent me. Okay, we, we need to be together in one, but we need to be in God. There's no unity. And you know, sometimes there's, we think about unity, we think of community, oh, community is awesome, and we have community. There's the soccer community, it's awesome if you're, you love soccer. There's, you know, you, you have your, if you're a Leafs fan, you have Leafs Nation. If you're a Montreal fan, you have Loser Nation, I'm sad to say right now. <laughs> oh, uh, but you have, you have, you have this kind of camaraderie, right, with different groups of things. You have your school, you have your, something different about the church. He's calling for something very special, that we're in God, we're, we're this body of Christ working together. And notice what he says, he wants this because he wants the world to know that God sent him. He's implying that if that unity is lacking, then people start to wonder, oh, did God really send them? Without unity, no one will believe that God sent Jesus. Without unity, the, the church cannot fulfill its vision. It can't fulfill its mission. And so that's why Jesus doesn't just pray a unity. He prays for a supernatural unity, one that we can't conjure up as humans. I have given them the glory that you gave to me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world would know that you sent me 
and that you love them as much as you love me. Notice what he's doing here. Jesus is, is saying he received this glory from the Father and he's going to give it to us. And the reason he gives us this glory, and this glory can be like a, this, this light, right? This presence of God. He wants to put the glory that was put upon him, he wants to put it on us through his spirit. And when, when we receive Jesus' glory, when we reflect Jesus' glory, not our own glory, remember, it's, it's his glory, then all of a sudden something starts to happen. People look, they're like, oh, that's, that's shining, that's sparkling, that's, that's something attracting me to that. There's something different about this. The world will know that Jesus was sent by the Father when they see our special unity. Isn't that an incredible thing to hear? Not only that, I love he says, then they'll know that you sent me, but they'll also know that you love them. If you want the world to know that they're loved by God, we need to show the love of God within our midst. And people look and go, oh, that's what godly love looks like. And they start to be intrigued and start to, to want to be part of this thing. This is something beyond what we can manufacture. And a lot of times we try to self-manufacture unity, we try to do these and things. And, and what we realize here is that there's something very special, what God is trying to do. The key to people knowing Jesus is that we're unified by his spirit. Now, if you look at the church today, Church of North America, global church, I don't know about you, but we look at a lot like the 12 disciples on that day, aren't we? Like this unity thing, it hasn't been easy. It, it, it hasn't been like our always defining mark. The church is kind of in a disunified state. There's, well, we could just start off, there's so many denominations. We're talking about unity, like, I have, look at this. The Great Schism, 1054. And the Eastern Orthodox and the Western Church separate. Then you have Luther, the, the Great Reformation, the, the, the battle cry. Then you have Calvin, and then you have, start having different groups split off. We have some of the, the roots of this church, Brethren, Church of England, Methodist, Pentecost. Like, if you want, I could give you another one. There's like thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of denominations. Like just that little group there where it says independent charismatic, thousands. Baptists, lots of different Baptists. So what's going on? If we talk about this unity being this, this marker so the world knows that we're united and we're, we're dealing with this reality, I, I started thinking about this and, and like when you, as a pastor, you're thinking like, how do I apply this practically in my life? How do I practically help unite a church that's so fragmented? What? I started thinking about it, and, and I realized, like, it starts with me, doesn't it? Am I in unity with my brothers and sisters in Christ? That's what I'm responsible for. I'm probably not going to heal the great schism.
And maybe there's some little schisms that I can work on. And so I want to point out three ways in which I think we can practically, personally, contribute to this unity that God is imagining. And I just want to, to put it on your heart, maybe to go with one of them, because each of these are kind of big things. So maybe God's going to put one of these on your heart, okay? The first one is going to start off probably the most personal, going to hit the closest, one of the hardest things to do. I believe that one of the ways in which unity is created is when we quit murmuring. When we quit gossiping. St. Benedict, who is kind of the father of all the monasteries that are existing in the West during the Great Schism. If you think of the monasteries, often they'll be Benedictine, or uh, we had the Pope before this one, was named St. Benedict. Uh, Benedict was this great monastic leader who, who had this vision for people living together in community. And he believed in the unity of the church. And the thing he said, like when he talked to his monks, this is the number one thing he said. He said, above all things, we give this admonition that they abstain from murmuring. The thing he wanted the least in his community was this murmuring. Murmuring's not just complaining like, oh, I didn't like the sermon this week. Or This is like this deep, heartfelt negativity. It's kind of this ill-speaking if you remember the danger of murmuring, just think of what happened at the Exodus. When we had the Israelites out of Egypt, they're escaped, they're in this great place. Oh yeah, we're going forward. I hit the desert and then it's like, mm, don't like the food so much. Moses, I don't know about him. And the murmuring starts happening, right? It starts building. And what does the murmuring do? Well, it gets Moses really angry and he hits a stick, now he's not allowed in the promised land. That's one of the things that happens. But the entire community is just wandering in the desert for 40 years. Jesus gave us a very unique ethic, actually, when he, in order for the church to have a unity. So I just want to read this passage and just pray that we, this is how we act. This is Matthew 18, verse 15. I don't think I have a slide, so. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. That's a really important thing because no one wants someone watching when you just, as a man, criticize your wife in front of a couple of people, you'll, you'll realize really quickly. Or vice versa, right? Probably more so. I'm probably more sensitive than she is even to that. But just like, oh, I don't want to be criticized publicly. So go between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. Ah, oh, unity. But if they'll not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Hey, like, I know we talked last week. I know you didn't care. We all love you. We're really worried about what you're engaged in right here. Instead of like, oh, I'll tell you everyone about you, what you all did, blah, 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 blah. Direct on, right? If they still refuse to listen, then tell it to the church. So this is this pattern of how we deal with things that we have maybe legitimate worries about. How do we deal with that? Well, we don't just kind of murmur and take shots, leadership from the sidelines. It's, it's this, this beautiful picture of people taking responsibility in their own hands. When they see something, they talk about it, they seek out who they need to, and they engage. This is the way of Christ. 
Go to your brother or sister. I gotta tell you one thing. Judas was murmuring. Oh, he didn't like the way Jesus was treating money. He didn't like this whole going to die thing. Started talking to some people. They're like, oh yeah, well we got some silver that can help you solve that problem. How much disunity could be healed if the church took seriously just Jesus' general injunction of like dealing with each other one-on-one? How much of the disunity that's caused by just lack of proper protocol? I even think about the divisions of the church. How many, how many times in history is that if, if we had just been a little bit better? It's not always. I, I gotta throw that out there. Sometimes there's gonna be places where you need to stand and go, I stand here, here I stand, I can go no further. but in the spirit of unity even still. Where do you need to stop murmuring? Ask your heart that. Where do you need to maybe shut down others who are murmuring? You know what? Go talk to them about that. Where do you need to go to your brother or your sister face to face and bring what's on your heart? The second practical thing I think is that we each individually need to find our role on the team. We need to find our place. Any Raptors fans in the place? A few of you? I don't know if you've been following the Raptors this year, but something's different about the team this year. They still got the same superstars. They didn't change the main superstars. But what's happened is, all of a sudden, the bench is stepping up. They've got the people on the sidelines coming out more and, and doing their part, playing together. And all of a sudden, we have like the best Raptors team we've ever seen in history. Why? Because everyone's doing their role. They know their part. They're playing their piece. And one thing's true about the church. We need bench strength. Everyone is a priest. Now, your gifts, you're like, oh, I'm not so flashy. I, I can't do what DeRozan's doing. We need you to grind out on D. What's, what's, your, what's your role? What's your gift? If you want to see unity in the church, figure out where you can serve and step into that lane. You start to see people come together. Some of my CovCom leaders here, I've got to say, you're agents of unity. And I thank you for that. Because it's really, you're, you're holding together a community to help them understand. And each of us, whatever role we play, you're helping unify the church by using your gifts in the broader context. So what is your gift? Use it. Maybe you're like, I don't know what my gift is. Well, that's kind of on us as leaders to come to us and ask us, hey, I want to serve. We're here to equip the saints for works of service. If you want to see the church more unified, start to use your gifts naturally. Your team needs you. This is, this is a team sport. Thirdly, and I, just, I asked everyone to, to stop this week and maybe do this. Pray for the Spirit to unite us. Us as the church of Forest View, us as the, the Christians here in the city of Oakville and Burlington and all of Halton, Hamilton. Ask God to unite us. Because as I said before, we need a supernatural unity. This can't be a, a country club unity we're calling upon here. Because that fractures very easily. 
If Jesus found it necessary that in his last hours he needed to pray for us to be unified, do you think maybe we need to pray for us to be unified? It's a serious prayer. Bees, what, what we found out from one of uh, our foremen who seemed to be a nature specialist, I wish he was there when we, this all happened, one of the problems is when the bees come up, your natural instinct is to swat at them. But what happens is when you try to attack any bee or anything, they let out a pheromone. Now every single bee is honed in on this one gentleman's back. And they're all going straight for there. It's just this weird unseen unity. The Holy Spirit of God acts even more powerfully than any pheromones to direct his people together. This unseen supernatural unity. We gotta call for it, we gotta seek it. We gotta pray for it. Lord, please unify us. We need direction. We need a sense of family, Lord. We don't just make it about just being this social group. It actually gets to the next level. We're unified in order to share and shine Jesus. So yeah, we could manufacture our own sense of false unity, but how much better if we just prayed for supernatural unity? The Lord would bind our hearts to each other. And one of the ways which we enact supernatural unity, I believe, is in prayer and a special way of praying that we do each week when we come to the table. Communion is all about union. It's a picture for us to enact each time we gather so we remember that what Jesus wanted more than anything was for his family to sit down and eat together. Because in those days, you didn't eat with someone that was your enemy. You wouldn't have a meal with someone you were separated with. And so we're called to come to the table. And that's why Jesus was very clear. If we have something against a brother or sister and we're gonna come to the altar or we'll come to the table, like, make sure you deal with that. Because it matters. Because what you're doing is giving the, the universe a symbol of the unity of Christ. That the redemption of Christ is here and it's coming and it's growing. That the unity of Christ will not be broken that the love that the brothers and sisters have for each other will hold together and we will see a new kingdom that this is just a little foretaste, a sign, and a symbol, and a taste of. And so I pray for you this week that you would search your heart and see what God's saying to you. Does he need you to, 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 to stop murmuring? Maybe, maybe you need to go talk to someone. Maybe he's saying to you, you know what, I, I need you to step into this lane. I need you to, to serve in this way to help this church be unified. Maybe he's saying to you, you need to get down on your knees and just plead to the Lord to unite his people so that we can be his feet, his hands, his servants, a picture of his love and his unity. Let's pray.